Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone to the Fanalytics podcast uh, brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Our online home is fandomanalytics.com. My name is Mike Lewis, and I'm joined by Doug Battle. I think that's all the details. Doug, could we tape that intro at some point so I don't have to keep saying it? Yeah, but it'll sound extra canned when it's the same one every time. Okay, so Doug, before we get into and look, I think we're going to talk about NIL today. We've been almost looking forward to this for the better part of a year. I mean, started writing and talking about NIL back yeah. in... Uh, Back in the fall, and frankly, I've been talking about this since the Ed O'Bannon lawsuit against EA Sports. So it's one of my favorite topics, and it's evolving in a, I'll just use it kind of a neutral term, it's evolving in a fascinating way. Um, before we get to that, I, I just want to make, uh, make a point that the world of sports continues to be inflamed by politics. We had a dust-up at ESPN um, and where, uh, you know, some conflict between uh, Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor. And and then we also had a, maybe, maybe, who knows, maybe a fake story related to the U.S. women's national soccer team yesterday. And, And I only bring these two items up to point out that we are... I believe, looking at a summer of politics when we hit that Olympic Games. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, people need to be, you know, kind of strapped in and ready for it because on the worldwide stage with the flag in the background and the national anthem, this is, you know, maybe the first part of the summer is about NIL, but the second part of the summer is going to be about politics. There's the hot take going into uh, the Olympic Games. Uh, But just... So you know, Doug, the the story about the U.S. women's national soccer team. I was going to ask about that, yeah. They had a World War II veteran who was playing the harmonica, the national anthem on his harmonica. And the video shows about half the team facing in one direction and the other half of the team facing in another direction. And so this created immediately a Twitter storm. It was reported on something called the post-millennial. I don't know that outlet. Uh, the the response the next day is that there were there were two flags and half the team was staring at one flag and half the team was staring at another flag. 
my take on it is, of course, that I have no idea what happened. More, more along, you know, where I'm interested is it's just another data point that highlights where this is all going to go. Okay, Doug, oh, yeah. so endless NIL stories, name, image, and likeness. What's your uh, what's your take on what's happened in essentially the first week of NIL? Anything kind of yeah. catch your attention? Is it are you going to go with the so, cannonball offer to Georgia linemen? So much caught my attention, Mike. So uh, I think with NIL, I don't I don't think people realize like there are starters in the NFL that don't have endorsements. It, it tends to be those top couple guys get big endorsements, and everybody else just doesn't. So when you go down a league to essentially the minor league. What does that look like? And we've seen that it looks pretty janky. Even at the top, you know, you got the Heisman, preseason Heisman favorites like Spencer Rattler and De'Eric King signing deals with with brands like Raising Cane's Chicken and uh, what was it? College Hunks Hauling Junk Moving Company in, in the case of De'Eric King. So quite the interesting partnerships we've seen across college sports and I'm thoroughly enjoying the entire thing. Okay. So I know the coverage is spotty and that's, that's one thing that's going to make this whole NIL thing interesting is it's going to be hard to understand who's making what, you know, the deals are going to be announced. Sometimes they'll put dollar figures to them. Sometimes they won't. Uh, For those of you, I think raising canes is a regional chain. So you can think of it as I, I believe Canes was the original version of Zaxby's, or the first version of Zaxby's. I thought it was the other way around, but yeah. Uh, okay, so any sense on the magnitude of that deal? I don't have the numbers. The only ones I've actually seen numbers for are Derek King and one of his teammates getting twenty grand to partner with College Hunks Hauling Junk Moving Company, and then. Outside of that, I don't know if I've seen a lot of dollar signs. So I really have no idea how much these guys are making. I can't imagine it's very much. You know, in the case of the the Georgia backups posting one time for the local crystals on Instagram, I would imagine it's it's pretty cheap. Nowhere near twenty thousand dollars. I think twenty thousand dollars is probably on the high end. I will say the highest recorded deal is Hersey Miller, who is Masterpiece's son. Supposedly, and this is according to to he and his father. Supposedly, again, this is Doug. Can I slow you down? I need to slow you down for a second. Okay, so who is the gentleman, Hersey P? Hersey Miller. His father is master master P, actor, movie producer, rapper, business mogul. Okay, and have I seen anything that Master P has done? Uh, Maybe in the early two thousands. It's been a while. He's kind of been off the map, but. Hersey Miller is a three-star shooting guard who allegedly inked the largest deal in NIL history, which is less than a week at this point, um, which was for $2 million to promote what he described as an American technology company. That was as detailed as he got. It was later clarified that that company is called Web Apps America. I looked into Web Apps America, and on Facebook, they have a following of 47 people, they have 11 LinkedIn followers, and they have a very generic website, which offers little to nothing as far as what they do and what their team's made up of. I looked on LinkedIn, they have one employee that is listed, and it seems as though there might be a little more to the story here. I do know that Hersey Miller is attending an HBCU. You get the feeling that Master P somehow is generating a little bit of uh, PR for his son in this one. Okay, Doug. I'm going to be honest with you. They now have 
12 followers on LinkedIn. Oh, is that you? That's me. I think it's great. And it's, I don't want to sort of put it out there yet. It's almost like I want to see how this evolves a little bit more. But I think there is definitely the potential that NIL can have almost be used as a tool for money laundering, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's wide open enough. There isn't any, there doesn't seem to be any particular structure. There don't seem to be any particular limits. I mean, I suppose that there's a potential IR, maybe, maybe there's a potential issue with the IRS that the salary for this promotion doesn't make any sense. But I, I think, I mean, look, some of our speculation was that it would go this way, right? We didn't think it'd be a father paying his son, right? But we definitely speculated it might be a booster writing a big check to uh, an elite prospect. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, I, mean I, I don't see it going any other way, honestly. The way there's no regulations at this point in time. The only regulations I've seen are school or laid out by the schools or enforced on a school to school basis. So every school has different rules and every school is responsible for punishing their own players for breaking those rules or, or holding players accountable. Uh, I don't see a ton of incentive for schools to really do that if they have a star player that comes to their school through something that would be illegal by the own school's standards. So it's, uh, I expect a lot of shady business going on through NIL. It's just wide open for it. And, you know, these guys, we've seen colleges compete and take advantage of every opportunity to gain a competitive advantage. And there's so much opportunity if you look at it from that perspective at this point in time. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, you know, you think of sports like auto racing sort of Mm -hmm. as a tangent, right? That you, You establish some rules and then the teams will push the rules to the limit, look for opportunities to, let's say, violate the spirit of the rules. And there's no reason why we wouldn't suspect, (laughs) there's no reason why we wouldn't see the same thing in this world of NIL. You know, and it's interesting, right? Because the NCAA has been notorious over the years for and, you know, it's almost like every talking head former ex-athlete has some story about how someone couldn't buy them a burger or, you know, give them a bottle of water because it was going to violate recruiting rules. Those those rules may still be in place, but now if you're not affiliated, I guess if you're not affiliated with the school and you, uh, if, if the booster takes a picture of the athlete handing the athlete the bottle of water, you can also wrap the bottle of water in several hundred dollars bills as long as the booster puts it on their Instagram. Yeah. Right? If someone agrees to go to the University of Georgia, my top favorite high school player, prospect player, I think can win the dogs, the national championship. I could pay him every dollar in my bank account to go on Instagram and say, hey, you should listen to, to this guy's podcast. Um, and, and that, you know, with the understanding that he attends the school and, and so you can start to see how it's going to be very easy in reality for guys to pay players to attend schools or even by performance. We look at – I know Miami way back when had like a pay-for-play system where they would – if a player made an interception, he would, go, he would get paid ten grand or something. Imagine you know having under the table those kinds of incentives set up where players – a player scores a touchdown on defense and he knows that he's going to make 10 grand because one of the boosters or one of the fans or whoever 
um, is going to have him advertise for their business on Instagram for a large sum of money every time he forces a turnover or scores a touchdown or makes a tackle. Um, I, you know, it, it's it's easy to see all the different directions this could go. It seems possible at this point that you literally could write incentive contracts that, yeah, you know, the based entirely on you know just like the pros, based entirely on your performance in the games. This is what you're you're going to make. Okay, so Doug, I'm gonna try and put a little structure to this because as a professor, maybe it's just what I'm drawn to do. Whether or not anyone needs this structure, it's like um, developing the categories for NIL so far. So we got number one. Wealth management. And I'm just mentioning this so we don't have to mention it again. This is the Web Apps America. So transfer payments within families. Because I don't know what's going on. So we can wealth management and we'll dismiss that one. Number two, brand matching. Or matching the athlete to the brand. And, and this is, uh, who did you say was doing the college? I think you said it was college hunks hauling junk or, or something. Yeah, that was D. Eric King, the quarterback of Miami, and one of his teammates. Uh, and, and they made, you know, for a college kid, a significant amount of I mean, they're making $20,000, I think, a year just to occasionally post about that. At least it fits, right? They now have a college spokesman, college. right, yeah. that is now advertising. I don't, I don't know if their employees are actually college kids. That seems like a tough business to run throughout the year. But... You know, yeah. at least they went out and they found someone that, as the marketers might say, is on brand. So there's a fit between the athlete and the brand. Okay. So call yeah, that- I, I will say, though, when we're talking about matching these player brands with brands, I've seen very little discernment from players. It seems as though some of these kids are just taking everything that comes their way because they need the money and who can blame them, right? But. Look at a guy like Spencer Rattler, you know, signing with probably the eighth best chicken tender company in the country. <laughs> um, when you would expect him to be lining up deals with, with Gatorade and, and Nike and, um, you know, Bo Nix with Milo Sweet Tea. I don't know. It's, Doug, uh, does, doesn't this kind of go back to what you were saying that, you know, a lot yeah. of professional mm-hmm. athletes don't have sponsorships. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at the sponsorships of, NFL starting quarterbacks, you know, I'm trying to think who has sort of big, glamorous nationwide deals. And it's, it's a relatively... Aaron Rodgers, Mahomes. Okay. Uh, Baker yeah. Mayfield obviously has something, right? I, I feel like I see him in a lot of ads. I don't remember for what. So it's more competitive than you would than you would think. And uh, part of what I was thinking about in terms of the, the Spencer Rattler deal, and I'm, I'm going to admit I'm at a little bit of a loss here. I don't know the landscape in terms of chicken restaurants. Is Raising Cane's strategy, I know that is big in Athens, Georgia. Do they have a campus-focused strategy? Do they tend to just hit these college markets and that's how they've expanded nation? I don't even know if they're nationwide. Yeah, I think they're at least close to nationwide at this point, but... Yeah, I don't. I'll be. I wish I could see the numbers on return on investment for these types of deals. Um, I don't know how much a guy like him is getting paid, and I don't know what the effect actually is for something like Canes. I do know this was an interesting one to me. Milo's, which is my hometown, uh, Birmingham, Alabama. There's actually a Milo's fast food restaurant, which a lot of people don't know that that it's actually a fast food chain as well as as a sweet tea company. Um, 
But when Bo Nix, Auburn's quarterback, announced that he was partnering with Milo's minutes after NIL started, minutes into July 1st, right after midnight, a lot of Alabama fans on my Twitter feed, on my Facebook, were saying, all right, we're not drinking Milo's anymore. We're throwing it out. Uh, No more Milo's at our tailgates. We're going to find another brand of sweet tea. We're done with Milo's. So there was that negative effect. And then, of course, uh, days later, one of Alabama star players came out with an endorsement for Milo's, um, which I'm sure was agreed to when Bo Nix's was because surely Milo's wouldn't have made that deal without thinking through the ramifications of, of the opposing fan base in the state. Okay, well, let's add a third category, and this may be a temporary one for NIL deals, that given that this is all anyone wants to talk about in the media, right now you do an NIL deal and you're almost trying to come up with the most amusing, outlandish deal that you can. So in the case of Auburn and Alabama, there's almost the script almost writes itself, right? You hire a kid from one of the schools, you get the other fan base all up in arms, maybe you hire the other one. Like if I'm Milo's, and again, you probably know more about Milo's than I do, I've seen that in the grocery store, maybe I hire the Alabama kid for tea, I hire the Auburn kid for their lemonade, and I've got some strange promotion where I'm going to make an Arnold Palmer halfway through the season. <laughs> right, for the Iron Bowl. Yeah, um, yeah I, I like it. I, I do think, you know, right now, I think the return on investment for these kind of deals might be better than it ever will be because there's so much press. It's so much free press. You know, that that's you put the money toward Bo Nix, but then you're in the national news and they're talking about Milo's sweet tea on CNN and Fox News because they're like, wow, NIL, and here's an example, Milo's with this kid from Auburn. And so I think uh, some of these brands, I think some people are intentionally being bizarre with it. Um, I know we saw on my list, I did on the uh, on the Fanalytics website, I, I did a list of the most bizarre uh, and, and weirdest NIL deals we've seen. My favorite, my personal favorite, uh, the punter for Michigan State, he tweeted out, this is a paid tweet to tell you to listen to the Locked On Spartans podcast. I never listened to it, but I'm sure it's not terrible. Um, and of course, the tweet went viral because people appreciated the lack of enthusiasm and and a little bit of self-depreciating uh, humor towards some of these players who uh, don't seem to really know how to advertise. I've seen plenty of posts that, that aren't very... Uh, genuine or authentic and and this one just took it to to the ultimate extreme i love to see it well and that one reminds me of sort of the old school sprite grant hill almost making fun of the marketing aspect of of these Mm -hmm. deals uh you know you you make this you make the point about wondering about the roi now let, let me tell you something there is always this issue in sponsorship that actually determining roi is incredibly difficult. And you think about the environment that these deals are going to be taking place in. I, you know, who knows what they're asking for? Let's say the Milo's example or or the the Canes example. Is it just going to be social media posts? Are they going to be featured in an advertising, in an advertisement on TV? Is it going to be in one market or more than more than a market? But you think about like trying to figure out the value of one or more social media posts you don't know who actually saw that post. You don't know that they actually, maybe they learned about the chicken restaurant or, or the iced tea, but it's almost impossible to track that stuff down. It's one of the, you know, th- there's an old saying, I think it was from American Express, that 
half of all advertising dollars are wasted. The problem is we don't know which half. Right. When we're right. talking about sponsorships of college athletes, you know, it's probably going to get even worse. I mean, in some ways, advertising ROI got a little bit better over the last few years because if you do stuff online, you can actually track who's clicking on your ad. But now it's almost like we're moving back farther to, hey, you, you put an ad on someone's influential Instagram page. What is the long-term effect of that? And a lot of this stuff has just got to be based on faith at this point. Or speculation. Yeah, Um so uh, another aspect of this whole NIL thing is, to me, it's it, it, when it comes down to it, it's uh, influencer marketing. It's, it's looking and seeing we have certain individuals that have a huge sway in, in their kind of regional markets, um, if you will, and there's value in that. There's value that, that can be attained. And so we've seen, like, uh, for example, there was a wide receiver at Arkansas Kid had 70 yards receiving last year, okay? So by no means is he a star player. Uh, but he has one of the, the biggest brands that we've seen an endorsement with, and that's with PetSmart. Why? Well, because he lost his dog a month ago or several weeks ago, and Arkansas's fan base went crazy on Twitter, sharing and retweeting and spreading the word to help him find his dog, and it ended up leading to him finding his dog. And PetSmart saw an opportunity where this kid has – all these followers that are very dedicated that apparently love the kid and, and will support him in any of his endeavors. And, you know, it doesn't really matter what his performance is on the field um, or, or how productive he's been if he's got that following. I, I think one of the really, really interesting stories that's not being talked about here is women's sports and the fact that a lot of these women don't have the opportunity to earn significant money beyond college in their profession as, as an athlete. Or, I mean, it's well documented that women's basketball, soccer, just about any sport is not paid a, a comparable wage to men. Uh, and there's a lot of debate as to whether they should. I'm not here for that discussion. I'm just here to say that the bottom line is there's not a lot of money to be made in sports uh, for women. But now all of a sudden, you look at um, there's a gymnast for LSU, and it's being speculated that she, she could become a millionaire from this whole thing. Because she's got a huge social following. There's some twin basketball players at Fresno State also who are essentially influencers at this point. They have that kind of social following. Um, the sport certainly helps them build that, as does you know the brand that they've kind of built on their own personal social media. And they're now in a position where they can make, as a college athlete, probably more than they could as professional athletes and probably a comparable amount um, to, you know, to what some professional athletes are making. And so professional men athletes, I should say. Um, and so, you know, it, it's a huge opportunity in women's sports, but really anyone that's that's got any player that's got a huge following. I know Georgia over the years has had players that aren't even starters that have these huge social media followings because of their personality, and, and they're able to cash out on that. Let me interrupt you here. Okay, so yeah. because this is where this gets this is where this gets interesting in a way and where there is sort of a, a marketing logic to what's happening. A marketing logic that might be kind of questionable in, in some respects, right? So so the internet has grown up in this, you know, social media has exploded in terms of this concept of influencer marketing, right? And, and we end up talking indirectly about when influencer marketing, because it ends up being something that really amuses me, influencers, when influencers meet sports, right? And we've got Jake and Logan Paul as, you know, the, the primary examples of all this. 
And, and when Paul is Paul, whichever one fought Mayweather, I remember at the tail of the tape, they had their Instagram account counts, their numbers of followers, right? And, and so, so much of sports marketing sponsorship has always been based on some notion of impressions, right? So how many people are going to see an ad, right? In stadium naming deals, right? Stadium naming deals are based on how many times the stadium name is going to be on TV, the number of times people are going to drive past on the freeway and see it, everything, you know, counting things up. So do you have any idea how many followers the LSU gymnast has? Yeah, she has 1.1 million followers on Instagram. Okay. Um, That's more 3. than... 3.9 million on TikTok. Okay. And, and so, you know, 5 million combined followers. Okay. So she has a greater following than Trevor Lawrence, right? And right. so I, I, I believe that if you dig into the data, not during, um, not during NFL season, the morning shows on ESPN reach a shockingly no a shockingly low number, and I didn't look this up, but maybe you're talking about reaching 300,000 people. Okay, she can reach 1.1 million people on Instagram and 3.9 on TikTok. The story gets even better though, right? Because younger people have been notoriously hard to reach forever. Back in the day, they used to run... Um, some of the TV shows that you'd see running for years and years on network TV ended up being incredibly low rated. Like the Gilmore Girls, if you remember that old show, is an example of this. The Gilmore Girls had terrible ratings, but it was number one with, let's say, women between women and girls between 13 and 21. So for these really hard-to-reach demographics. And the other thing that's kind of special about these younger demographics of, you know, 18 to 25 is guess what? Those are the people that spend all their disposable money. Like, Doug, your parents got, your parents got way more money than you do, right? But they're sensible, right? You're, you're out there. You're swayed by the latest advertising campaign for Adidas, Nike, Vodka, Red Bull, right? And so advertisers have always struggled to be able to talk to that youth market, then lo and behold, social media arises and suddenly you can reach millions and millions of them via, you know, potentially a, a, an LSU gymnast. And so it makes, it makes some sense. The other thing makes a lot of sense. The other thing that I want to add to this though, and this is where I, I wonder how this works out long-term. Now, when you tell me that she's got what a great conversation, right? Uh, me talking about TikTok. When you tell me she's big on TikTok, that makes me think that she's doing some sort of gymnastics slash dance moves on TikTok. I'm sure. I, I haven't checked that out myself, uh, <laughs> but I, I would imagine so. So her. I wonder how her fan base is structured. I wonder how many of them are LSU fans. Because that's kind of the, 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 the interesting thing and in, in why maybe some of these athletes will have deals where some of these pros don't because the LSU nation or the Bulldog nation or the Gator nation, they will embrace everyone on those teams, right? You got a built-in. Oh, that's in, just a built-in You got a built-in fan base. Loyalty. Right, yeah. and, it's, and it's permanent. You know, yep. you, as long as you graduate, it's not like, you know, you're a backup safety for the Falcons. You're in there for two years and you're out and they forget about you. You've, yeah. got, you've got that. 
but so she yeah. she's got LSU, and then she might also have this kind of personal TikTok brand. The the to me the real question is where does it go from here? I mean, does it go on forever? How long, what's the lifespan of a TikToker? I got no idea. I will say I know uh, some guys that were Vine famous, which Vine was was TikTok before TikTok um, in high school. So this was you know roughly ten years ago. And these guys are one of them is is still making a career off of his basically his name, image, and likeness. Not an athlete, um, but he's got a YouTube channel and he is on TikTok. And he and his wife are influencers on social media because they have this following, and it has lasted because of his initial following. You know, back in when he was a high schooler. So I think it is something that that lasts probably a little longer than you might think, possibly even longer than a sports career, which is where it really gets interesting, where it's like this really could become, uh, for a lot of these, particularly female athletes, but for a lot of athletes, um, you know, I know in, in male sports, there's, like I said before, there's some big personalities on there that have, that have huge followings that maybe aren't the Trevor Lawrences of the world, where they actually can make a career off of, you know, just establishing themselves and establishing an audience during their years in college and can just continue to build from that for, for years to come. Well, but you, you mentioned a while back in the conversation that some of these athletes seem to be just grabbing whatever deals were available. Yes. Right? <laughs> and that certainly makes sense. When you, got, when you got nothing in the end of June and suddenly someone's willing to give you a thousand bucks in July, you're sure. going to take that thousand bucks, right? For little to no work, yes. Now, so, but for, let's say this. LSU gymnast. We should we should learn her name. Let's endeavor. Let's effort to learn her name. Um, her name is Olivia Dune. D-U-N-N-E. I'm assuming that's Dune. Okay. Olivia Dune. Now, what Olivia needs to do, though, is Olivia actually needs to think about her brand when she's contemplating what deals to do, right? Because the way these influencers, my understanding in terms of what they, at least the first generation, I mean, like influencers are in different places. There's influencers that play video games. There's also influencers that do lifestyle. Let's say mm -hmm. Olivia wants to be a lifestyle influencer, and that's probably the place to be, right? Because then you can do that forever, as long as mm -hmm. your fans, you know, as long as your fans stick with you and are willing to age and mature with you. So if she wants to be a lifestyle influencer, it's almost like she's got to think ahead multiple years, right? She probably shouldn't do the Cane's fried chicken, but you know the right fashion brand might make sense. The you know anything that if she's building it, something that expresses you know glamour, class. Yeah, I mean, I I would imagine that that the athleisure brands and the shoes and fashion, you know, that kind of matches a certain lifestyle, healthy foods, um, and acai and, and all the different diets and all the different facial products and, and beauty products, I, I would imagine are all on brand for someone like that. But you know, what we're seeing right now is a lot of guys who, who are top performing athletes doing the fast food deals or doing a firework store, just random kind of cheap deals to get a little bit of change. I think what we haven't seen is players or athletes like herself using some discernment and saying, does this actually in the long term help the way people view me? Does this make me look valuable or does this make me look like a cheap commodity? And I think a lot of these male athletes right now we've seen aren't thinking in those terms. 
Well, I mean, Doug, you know, you, you tell me. I mean, because I think you've been around a lot of these kind of guys the last few years. And, and the notion of an athlete as a brand is, it's not uncommon at this point. I mean, you know, everyone gets that Michael Jordan is a brand and LeBron is a wants to be the a bigger brand than Jordan. How many of these guys do you think think in those terms, though? I mean, you know, now that every school has rapidly constructed and you know, an, an NIL program, right? The platform, the influence, Nilbraska, uh, Forge Ahead, or what did I say Pitt was? Forge Ahead or, for, no, Forge Tier. They've all got something. And so they'll, they'll get some basic training in that. But I wonder how foreign of, how foreign the thinking is in terms of, you know, when you go from just a, a guy that's been a, a great cornerback or a really good power forward to now trying to think about what your brand is. And, and frankly, in some ways, in some cases, it's probably a little bit silly to think it as a long-term brand when you're going to have a four-year, you're going to have a four-year career in a local market. And then beyond that, it's really, you know, you move, you turn pro in something else. Yeah, Um I don't know, but I, I do know there's a lot of middlemen trying to squeeze their way into this and, and seeing a new, essentially a whole a whole new line of business for them where they can say, hey, you may not know how to think in these terms. We will. We'll add enough value for it to be worth it to you. We just want to cut out of it. And I mean, there there's 50 different firms right now that I've seen trying to, to get in the middle, my favorite of which is Barstool. Um, last minute deciding, Dave Portnoy deciding, you know what, we're going to get in on this whole thing and signing the player with the best mullet in college football who doesn't even start and signing you know, the most random players they can. But, but you know, this is where the, kind of the middleman business is, is starting to uh, take shape. It'll be interesting to see how many of those firms actually survive and are able to profit enough for, for this to really be a, a, a market. Well, it, it, look, it, it's interesting, right, because how often – you know, in general, markets develop over time, right? And so by the time most people realize there's something happening, there's already firms operating it. This mm-hmm. one had a start date. Yeah. This did not exist on July 1 yeah. or on June 30th, and then it yeah. did. And everyone had, depending on how much you were paying attention, like a two-year running start to get ready for this. Yeah. Um, again, kind of going full back to some of our earlier conversation it'll be really interesting to see how quickly that part of it shakes out you know are you are people going to be brokering you know twenty thousand dollars is great for the the quarterback calling junk but for a professional representative and agent you got to put a lot of those together a lot of deals there's gonna have to be a lot of volume for sure you got you know to make this work out for you yeah, and, and seeing how many firms there are and then seeing the nature of these deals that are happening. It's just like it's one thing to be a sports agent and to be brokering deals for Patrick Mahomes where mm-hmm. you're getting a cut out of a deal with State Farm or with Nike or with Gatorade. But even with these top college athletes, even with these Heisman caliber players, we're seeing Raising Cane's chicken fingers. And the most lucrative deal we've seen so far is the, the $20,000 deal uh, for Derek King with College Hunks Moving Junk Moving Company. And so, you know, you look at that from an agent perspective, maybe 10% out of that deal. So let's say $2,000 for the biggest deal you're going to get. And the majority of the rest of your clients are, are 
working for $25 crystals gift cards? How do you build a business getting 10% out of that? Um, it, it, you know, I'm interested to talk to some of these folks working in this world and finding out how the business works and, and where the real opportunity is. Okay. The other story I want to bring up is, and this is not exactly an NIL deal, but it's something that people are talking about in terms of NIL, and that is Kofi Cockburn of the University of Illinois. I knew that was what was coming next. But I'm not even going there because of my my fondness for the Illini. But so Kofi was a second-team All-American center last year and put his name in for the NBA draft. My sense, looking at the online draft boards, is that he was not going to be drafted or was going to be very late in the second round. And so he has withdrawn his name from the NBA draft. But while he was being evaluated, he actually also put his name in the transfer portal. Okay. I'm not going to make, you know, as a fan of the Illini, of course, this is very disappointing. But given the landscape of college sports and how NIL is likely to affect recruiting going forward and transfers going forward, this is probably just the first example of many folks essentially declaring themselves free agents. This is collegiate free agency. And so if you're Kofi Cockburn now and you're looking for someplace to play, you know, part of the equation is who's going to get me to the league. If you're just trying to get to the league, I don't know why you disrupt your life and move to a different program and have to learn a new system and, and new new teammates. Um, maybe the maybe based on his evaluation, they say, you know, you're not going to be an NBA player. And so he's looking at that it's now just time to start earning as much as possible. And so going to a blue blood program with lucrative NIL offers, is this now going to be in a position to start making six figures as a, and, and look, we start to put some of these deals in categories of, you know, payments from boosters. Okay. Maybe that's part of the, the Kofi story, the, the Lexington Chevy dealer. You know what I'm saying? It's almost, that's almost such a stereotype. Um, Perhaps, you know, bigger national stage. Now he's going to be on national TV more times than if he had stayed in Champaign, if he goes to Kansas or uh, Kentucky. So is this this free agency? Well, if you think of it just from an influencer standpoint, think of the number of followers you would get, a guy like that playing for Kentucky as opposed to Illinois. I mean, I've been to some Kentucky away games where they bring more fans than the home team. Let me throw in one part of the story why we're both talking about Kentucky. So Illinois had two assistant coaches leave Brad Underwood's staff and join the Kentucky staff. So a lot of the speculation is that he will follow those guys. Yeah, I I fully expect to see more of this. And any player that's in a position where they're now ultimately choosing on a year-to-year basis, do I return to my current situation or can I go to a better situation? Have I earned myself a better situation where I can make more money and have more exposure? And for Cockburn, you know, that's obviously probably the case moving on from Illinois, although Illinois is uh, not like some small basketball school. But, you know, if you think about the NFL, a league made up mostly of guys that 
weren't five stars that didn't go to SEC schools. A lot of guys in the NFL from Eastern Carolina and all these random schools, a lot of late bloomers. I fully expect to see those guys show out year one in college and transfer you know, over to an Alabama, uh, much like Cockburn's transferring to a Kentucky. And, and of course, that is speculation that, that is yet to have happened. But for example, you know, that, that's kind of what it would look like. I view it a lot like some of my friends who maybe didn't have the best grades in high school and wanted to go to Georgia or Georgia Tech, but were not admitted. And so they went to a junior college or they went to a smaller state school and they made straight A's. And once they made straight A's, then they could go in. I mean, I think that's going to be the case with these college athletes. I think if you're a basketball player and you're not admitted into UNC or, or you're not offered a scholarship, then you go to UNC Asheville and you score 30 points a game and get the attention of a team like UNC, and then you transfer in. So I think there's going to be a lot more stepping stone schools, stepping stone uh, situations for these college players, much like Illinois has seemed to become one for Kofi Cockburn. Okay, and where does this leave college basketball or college football? You know, because one of the – look, one of the – so a couple of – let me make two comments about – sort of the sports business model of the NCAA. Brett Kavanaugh in the the decision the Supreme Court made about educational expenses called the players employees. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we are now in a situation where the Supreme Court is saying college sports is a business, like there are billions of dollars. So it's college sports own problem that they found themselves with that with that name. So it's a business. The colleges still don't have to pay the players. The colleges are still, I guess, prohibited from paying the players. So now the colleges are trying to help the players find other people willing to pay them. Right? And again, it's like if a system doesn't make any sense, how long can it last? So the player, the colleges are now in the business of trying to get their their players paid. Um, they recruit the players. I, you know, I think colleges, you know, the some of the rules have, you know, I, you know, some coaches will run players off, but scholarships have are almost like four year deals. But now the players with the transfer portal aren't really signing any long lasting. They're they're signing single year contracts with the players. Mm-hmm. So you've got total free agency. You've got the schools trying to get them paid by other folks. This is going to be amazing what we see because I think you're completely right that recruiting, you know, I think it was always a saying in the SEC, recruiting never ends until signing day. Well, guess what now, SEC fans? Recruiting never ends until the player graduates or enters the NFL or NBA draft and sticks into the draft. Absolutely. And, you know, I actually expect there to be recruiting going on at the the shaking of hands after football games. I remember kid Andy Isabella at UMass uh, played against the University of Georgia. Georgia had a first round corner covering the kid all night long. This kid was, I don't know if he's 5'8", 5'10", but white wide receiver that would have never gotten an offer from a school like the University of Georgia. Absolutely torched a future first round pick. And the secondary all game long. I think he had like 200 receiving yards or something. 
But, you know, in this new NCAA, I would expect that to happen. And at the end of the game, when, when teams are shaking hands for coaches to, to go over and, and tell them, you know what, you know, we, we like what we've seen from you. We slept on you when you were in high school, but we want to make an offer and come into the season. We'd love to, you know, create a spot for you on our team, offer you a scholarship. I, I won't be surprised to see that. On the flip side, though, I won't be surprised to see some of these backups on teams like Alabama who, who could be starters just about anywhere else in the country transferring because of NIL, transferring because they're losing money. There's opportunity elsewhere to be a big fish in a small pond and be the face of the franchise somewhere else, getting endorsements and making money instead of sitting on the bench at a, at a big institution and, and watching the money pass you by. So I think it goes both ways, and it'll be interesting to see what the net effect is on parity in college sports. Yeah, Doug's uh, – that's a phrase I dropped on the website over the last couple of uh, – over the last week. I'm actually doing uh, an update, a continually updated article on NIL guidance, a, advice from a professor to athletes, oh. and one of the points – was this idea of maybe be a big fish in a small pond, yeah. right? Because, you know, in some ways you look at the trajectory of your life, of your career and your earning potential, and getting on the field and staying on the field, suddenly that, that suddenly that's something different, right? Building a brand in a local community. So it, but the, the point is great, right? There's going to be this very kind of strange set of dynamics of recruiting never-ending, and potentially big money deals at the Kentuckys or Kansas and basketballs or the Notre Dames and USC's and Alabama's and Georgia's of footballs um, played off versus, the, let's say, this alternative strategy of I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be the face of West Lafayette, Indiana for four years, or you know, or or Iowa City, and I'm going to build my brand that way. And, and until we start to see how these deals pay out, it's a good question as to what the right strategy is going to be. Because yeah. let, let me add just one other thing to this, because there is something in all of this kind of influencer marketing that probably suggests that there's going to be a few big winners, right? That the money's going to all gravitate to a few stars, right? I mean, you, you know this, that Every year or so, like the number that the kids want to get on their jersey changes, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's the quarterback or, or it's the running back, the, that's kind of the, the flavor of the, of, of, you know, just a, the, the last few years. So it's, it's going to be a strange kind of, like, it's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. And I'll say this last thing on my end I expect there to be less teams who are stacked at one position. And I'll use an example from the last couple of years. That's the University of Alabama, 2017-2018. That team at quarterback had Jalen Hurts, Tua Tungavailoa, and Mac Jones as the third stringer. Um, or that might have been the next year, 2018-2019. Regardless, three future NFL franchise quarterbacks, potentially, all on one team. Um you know, I, I don't know if a player of Mac Jones' caliber waits three years to start in, in the new NIL NCAA because if you weigh being the third stringer at Alabama and probably no endorsements versus starting for 
let's say Georgia, let's say Florida State, let's say another football school that's in need of a quarterback at the time, the endorsements that come with being quarterback at one of those schools, I would imagine would be too much to pass up. And with current transfer rules, I expect to see more and more quarterbacks or even staff. I mean, I know Georgia's had years where we've had Nick Chubb as our third string running back, uh, NFL Pro Bowl caliber running back, um, getting 10 carries a game and, and not being the face of the team. I just don't know how much of that we're going to see. I think we're going to, you know, that's another area where there might actually be more parity because these guys want playing time and they're going to transfer to schools where there's needs. And we'll, we'll just see what happens. Well, okay, so let's... Let's go back to your favorite example. A few years ago, uh, Georgia's starting quarterback was Jacob Eason, who was a five-star player. They also had then what Jake Fromm came in the next year as a four-star. Yeah, and, that's correct. And Justin Fields then came in as yes. a very high five-star the next year. Do You know, we're, NIL, and, and for those of folks who are not following it all that closely, NIL has also become this enormous issue in recruiting already. Um, there's there's been reports that NIL is representing you know thirty or forty percent of the recruiting conversations. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but it's something new and it's something interesting and it's something potentially lucrative. So if NIL is being sold, and at this point maybe it's mostly the programs that are being sold, but if NIL becomes something that is full-on part of the of the recruiting pitch, and it's almost like the NIL deals are lined up before the athlete signs the letter of intent, then what do these deals look like? You know, so NIL is going to be, and this is a challenge for the brands, right? NIL is largely going to work, you know, if, if this is about influencer marketing, then the brands are paying for the stage, and that person's personal, let's say TikTok account, TikTok account. You know, they're 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 sort of organic. It's like you got organic followers, and then you got followers that come from that are based on where they decide to go to school. Yeah. Are NIL deals going to be one term, one year deals? Are they going to be four year deals? Because what if Justin Fields had said, you know what, Georgia didn't work out for me. I want to go somewhere where I know I can play. And that is, you know, University of Alabama, Birmingham, if they've got a team these days. <laughs> well, first off, they do have a team. Second off, Justin Fields did do that. It just wasn't University of Alabama, Birmingham. It was Ohio State. He, he knew he would be the guy there, and uh, he took that opportunity, as, as many in that position would. But absolutely, I expect to see more players uh, or more situations like Justin Fields and like Joe Burrow. Players of that caliber, players that know they can be Heisman contenders, Heisman winners, can lead teams to a national championship. I don't know how those players, now that there's money being missed out on while they're sitting on the bench. I don't see how those players stick around anymore. And I know Mac Jones might have been the last one because uh, we, we've already had Justin Fields, Joe Burrow, a number of others transfer out. I do too. And I think, you know, maybe to put a put an exclamation point on the conversation, at least thus far, is I suspect all of this is part of this larger movement towards players having more power, more influence, yeah. more control. You know, look, it's, Look, it's entirely conceivable. You know, we've talked some about the idea of the NFL quarterbacks trying to move towards like the super team model that the NBA All-Stars are able to implement. Well, guess what? Now I suppose that can happen at the college level. Um, You know, and again, you know, 
Some of this is probably premature. You know, maybe Congress will act. Maybe the NCAA will come up with a compromise. You know, when we were talking offline, you know, one of the challenges in all this is if the NCAA was trying to create a compromise, who do they actually create it with, right? Do we have to move to a player union? Yeah, there's not a player union now, but would not be shocked to see things continue to move in that direction. I know last year when football shut down because of the pandemic, um, I don't know if it was the Big Ten or, or which conference it was, but it essentially formed a players' union and created a document speaking on behalf of the players that they presented both to the NCAA and to the public, um, giving the players' stance on the circumstances and, and showcasing, I guess, or expressing their desire to play football last fall. So we've already seen that a little bit. Um, looking in the NFL and, and how much it has gone from being so team-driven, so fans even have been so loyal to teams, um, but now it's becoming more player-driven, more like the NBA, and I think the NBA is really the perfect example of a league that is driven by the players. I don't see any reason for college football, college basketball, college sports as a whole to become more that way. These players are having more power. Um, schools are already doing everything they can to recruit them. Now they have to continue to recruit them once they're there, and the players are going to drive these leagues. Well, and, and I think that's kind of where I want to put the, you know, the, the second exclamation point on this conversation because the key word, I think, in what you just said and all that was we've seen pro players do that. Mm. So now suddenly are college players this weird sort of hybrid pro players you know, because again, I'm going to come back to this argument of, you know, in some ways, this does seem like this is just a strange system that is being built piece by piece based on accident or, you know, outside legislation to something that may or may not make any sense. And so, you know, if, if we move to a college sports union, look, and again, the I got I to gotta end this because we're running up on time, but just think about where this conversation goes. Who can be in this union? Is it just football players? Is it just revenue sports? Is it just male athletes? Is it female athletes? It's going to be, and I think this is why the NCAA has kind of punted on actually putting a proposal out there because yeah. there's nothing, there's no kind of stake in the ground. There's no foundation for whatever principles at this point. Okay, Doug. To wrap up the show for this week, um, your one of your favorite sporting events continues. One of the nice things about the NBA playoffs is it goes on for about half the year, seemingly. And so we have the Suns versus the Milwaukee Bucks. Any uh, any thoughts? You want to hazard a prediction, and then we'll wrap it this week. Um. Prediction, I will say I am going with the Phoenix Suns. I've been very impressed with the way they play basketball. I'll also say I don't know that they would be – that either of these teams would be champions in a year where teams were not so decimated by injuries. I hate to say it, but I do think LeBron was probably right. I don't know if he was right to come out and say what he did, but I do think he, his point was correct that – it, it really is kind of an asterisk season. There's so many injuries, so many of the key players in, in these key playoff series missing um, that it doesn't feel as legitimate as it has in years past. And so hate to have another asterisk NBA Finals, particularly for a franchise like the Milwaukee Bucks or the Phoenix Suns, whose fan bases have been just waiting and waiting and waiting for this kind of opportunity 
to, to become a champion, and one of them will in the coming weeks. And so I am excited for it. I'm excited for those teams. Um, I actually think both are great basketball teams, pretty balanced, well-coached, great, great fan bases. And so it will be fun, but I don't think the NBA Finals are going to get that same buzz and that same feeling of legitimacy that they've had in prior years. Okay, so Doug, you know, my quick take on the NBA Finals is I'm really interested in where the TV ratings are going to be with Phoenix and, you know, a real small market in Milwaukee, no LeBron. It's going to be an interesting temperature check on, on the health of the league. Okay, as always, guys, thanks for listening and much more at fandomanalytics.com. Bye.